Have you ever covered a carpet stain with a rug, ignored a leaky faucet, pretended your half-painted living room is supposed to look like that? Well, you're not alone. We've all got unfinished home projects, but there's an easier way. When you download Thumbtack, it's easier to care for your home from top to bottom. Pull out your phone and in just a few taps, you can search, chat, and book highly rated pros right in your neighborhood. Plus, you'll know what to tackle next because Thumbtack is the app that shows you what to do, who to hire, and when. So say goodbye to all those unfinished home projects and say hello to caring for your home the easier way. Download Thumbtack and start a project today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 825. I want to tell you about some community corkboard things from the Nerdist community, from people just like you. Um, comedian Shane Moss will be going on tour next month for a show called A Good Trip. It's about comedy, it's about science, it's about psychedelics. Dates are still being added, but he's, uh, he's going to be going all over the country. You can find out more info and get ticket links at ShaneMoss, that's M-A-U-S-S dot com. Uh, Chris Kent from our Nerdist community just got married to his best friend and fellow nerd, Lisa Hammer, and he'd love a shout-out. Uh, Lisa does not know that Chris rode in. So if they're driving somewhere together, uh, hopefully there's an epic amount of pants pooping when she heard this. Well, you know, let me take that back. Hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully she was so excited uh, but was able to uh, keep the poop inside where it belongs until a proper repository can be located. This went in a very weird direction. Kent Hammer, nice job. Oh, whose last name did you take? I mean... Lisa Hammer is pretty rad. Chris Hammer is great. I mean, Lisa Kent sounds cool, sure. But have, did you guys do Hammer Kent? Or Kent Hammer, private eye? I, I think you guys need to create your own special Kent Hammer character uh, and make a comic book about it. Please, please do that as my wedding gift to you. Please do a thing for me. Uh, also, I want to say... That uh, at midnight has been moved to 1130. Uh, I know some people were upset by this uh, because the show is called at midnight and it's at 1130. Uh, but we announce a winner at midnight. How about that? Huh? How about that? Uh, at midnight is now on at 1130 on Comedy Central following The Daily Show. So this episode is Coleman Domingo, who is uh, plays Strand, Victor Strand on Fear the Walking Dead who is a character that I immediately loved. And Coleman Domingo, I love even more as a person. We, had, we connected so hard on this podcast. I adore this guy that to the point that I, at the end of the podcast, I was like, you know, I, would you please come to my wedding? And this was a couple of days before I got married. And he said, 
really? Of course. And he came to my wedding. And it was awesome. So thank you, Coleman Domingo. I adore you. He's promoting Fear the Walking Dead uh, and Birth of a Nation, which is in theaters October 7th. Also, his play Barbecue, uh, which he directed, is be, be playing at the Geffen Playhouse September 14th through October 16th. You can find tickets and info at geffenplayhouse.org slash barbecue, spelled out the, uh, the entire way, uh, B-A-R-B-E-C-U-E. So uh, please, if you're in Los Angeles or the Los Angeles area, go check out Support uh, Theater, Support Coleman Domingo. And uh, I love you, Coleman Domingo. Now here's an artist podcast number 825 with Mr. Coleman Domingo. Katie, please roll the thing. Now entering Nerdist.com. Yeah. Uh, Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. Oh my God! How's it I know. Going? You, you all ready? Yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's just it's. Uh, I think the only stress is really the all of the family coming in and making sure the seating chart. You know, Lydia just did the seating chart and making sure. This you know. person's not going to kill that person. <laughs> <laughs> she did the seating chart, and I think she did a very good job. It's a, it's a big. There's a lot of people coming. It's a big wedding, and she did a really great job of making right. sure everyone's at a good table. But and what did you do? Um, you didn't show up in a suit? I don't do anything <laughs> useless. <laughs> well, you know, when we, when we got engaged, she said, you know, we're going to hire a wedding planner. I said, great. And she said, I don't want you to have to worry about this. You can just show up. And I was like, I want to support that decision. <laughs> My name is Chris Harper. Yeah, exactly. I exactly. Message. I guess I should have fought harder. Like, no, I'll, but, you know, <laughs> right. I didn't. But you trust it's going gonna, it's gonna to look good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be amazing. And, um, and the wedding planner is great. And. And Nicotero's team is making up zombie. They're, they're going to be zombie servers there, so it should be. I love it. I it should, love it. It should, great. Really, it should be really great. fun. Yeah, it should be fun. That's fun. I'm excited about it. But it's so good to see you, and it was great to hang out with you at Comic Con. You too. Was it the Comic Con this year for you guys was so much different than the previous year? It was. Yeah. Well, first, of all, yeah, I wasn't even there last year, which was uh, so, so. So that's very different. So I was. It, it felt like. Everybody just prepared me to, for it to be so insane and wild, and I did, I thought it was like pretty like it was cool. It was just nice. It was like yeah, you saw some, you know, someone dressed in like. But I saw people like dressed in like as Tinkerbell or right. something. It wasn't like you know some hardcore craziness. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. So I think I was prepared. I was prepared for like oh my god, people are gonna be like ripping my clothes off or something. Right, and that didn't happen, and I'm very disappointed. Very disappointed. Yeah, next so year, there's <laughs> always next year. But I think it's you know when the cast came out, yeah, because Strand we don't really see Strand until the. Yeah. The, the later the part of that season, yeah. and uh, but instantly, he's a character that I think just really pops because yeah. he's mysterious, but he seems in charge. He looks amazing, yeah, and he kind of he doesn't seem thrown by everything that's that's going on. Right. When you auditioned for the show, did they give you any background at all? And they're like, well, just. Go, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> or, no. or, or, or they, what did they tell you about? You Stray? know, uh, Erickson, uh, Dave Erickson s- said to me, uh, I had a phone call with him and he said, and this is after I already read the sides. You know, I read the sides and I thought, oh, that's an interesting guy. And I don't know, he seems to be well-dressed and he, I don't know, affluent in some way. And then uh, Dave Erickson said, well, he's a millionaire. 
and uh, he is a self-made man, and he is uh, he has a daughter named Abigail. <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay, and possibly like a wife that's like on a boat or something like that. So whatever it was, it was like they were, in their minds they were thinking boat, Abigail, someone I love. Uh, but there was mystery to it. So I'm just playing like in the moment. I'm just playing, okay, uh, it, even when I saw the, the scene with uh, Nick, you know, I had no idea why. I'm, and I feel like, honestly, I was like looking at him even as an actor because he's got a little bit of a limp and things. I'm like, why does he got a limp? I had no idea he got hit by a car in episode right. one. <laughs> you know, but like, so, so, you know, so I'm just really, everything is just in the moment and just really dealing with what this is. Uh, and I think Frank and I just, you know, as we got to know each other too, it was really interesting to watch the way we became sort of buddies, you know, as actors and as characters. Too. Yeah. Yeah. And did you uh, work with them at all on the evolution of Strand or did they did they just tell you like, well, this is what's going to happen? You know what? They met with, you know, they're respectful. So they meet with you. To, uh, you go to the writer's room, um, you know, I think last August or something. And I guess after they had some handle on, OK, what the, where they were going. And he said, well, how do you feel about Abigail being um Abigail being a man. I said, okay, cool, great. And they talked about, you know, complications of relationships, things like that, but still left it very open in a way. And I think that they also, what they also do, which is really cool, is anytime there's a, you know, we have a script reading, uh, I can always give, you know, thoughts and just say, oh, I'm not sure about that. Or does that make sense that Strand is this? And, or I want to be very clear about where we're going with the arc of, of the character. Right. So, and so Dave, is always, Dave and his team, they're always very open to that and they'll do a rewrite, you know, so they're cool. Is it, tell me what you think about I, do you think it's a good? Do you think it's? Do you like the idea that uh, that it's a presentation of a same-sex couple? That's just it's just incidental. Yeah, that's exactly. I, just I love that it's like it's like such a subplot. It's yeah, like, it's not even about that. Not at all. even about that it's at like, all. Nah, these two people are kind of like hustlers, you know, con men, and they also had a you know relationship, and then we, they move on. Because I think that well, then I blow his brain brains out <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with a gun. Well, because that's what happened. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> no. What? No. What? What were you talking about? No, I was talking about. What were you talking about? No, you were. But you. No, but I. Because I think it's. I think we've come a long way in in entertainment and television, and I know it's still. You know, it's still not perfect, and there's still a long way to go. But I. I think it's nice when the sexuality isn't the defining thing. Yeah. In, in, in a in the character or the relationship, it's like, oh well, this just happens to be. But they're char- they're they're characters. They're human, and this is the intricacy of their relationship that has nothing to do with that. Exactly. Uh, Kim Dickens and I we talked we talked about the idea that you know when she comes in to see Strand in bed with Abigail and he's like you know nursing him. There's no there's no mention whatsoever, and these characters have gotten to know each other for the past uh, what few weeks or so, and all of a sudden she knows something else, and that's it. But it's just. They just keep moving on. So I think also, I think I love the idea of the way Strand was set up, that he's so complicated he, and he's such, you know, he keeps surprising people. Right. And then the next thing you know is that about this relationship that he has. And it's just like, oh, okay, that's just one other thing you get to know about him. But does that all of a sudden make it the defining factor of him? No, because you now you know so much more. He's he's cut a rope. He's he's been horrible with children. He's, been, <laughs> <laughs> he's know, scammed people. He's scammed he's people. These great credit you know, card ex- scams. Exactly. You know, I think that those are those are uh, larger themes that I think that he's probably even more. Uh, you know, <laughs> do you trust him? I, you know, I, th- I, it's a strange thing. I think you, you always have to trust the character that you're playing in some strange way. You get into his mindset and you think, I understand this dude in some weird, dark way. I understand his pulse and his heart. And I always try to believe, I, th- I think every, 
um, actor, you almost try to believe that your character is out for good. Right. You know, I think if you, even if you're playing the most dastardly human being, you think, yeah, but they, they're doing it for a good reason. Have you ever played a character where it was difficult for you to find an emotional way into them? No, because I think usually then I don't. I don't even take those roles. Then I feel like if I if I can't get some sort of idea about him, honestly, Victor Strand was a character I was a bit more afraid of because I thought like I'm not. It's it's so complex. It's exciting and dark, but I'm not even sure. Even the way he was written in the first uh, episode, I couldn't tell if he was a good guy or bad guy. But I was excited about it and, and a little terrified of it. You know what I mean? Just like how is this going to all pan out? I have no idea. I still don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy. I, feel I, I still like, don't know. I feel like he's. I feel like at the core of it, he's a good guy. But I also feel like we've only kind of seen in flashback some of the things that he's done that have been right. less than trustworthy. So I, I. So maybe there. I think it's a weird thing. I think the idea that we're always trying to decide whether a person is a good guy or a bad guy. I think already that's what where the argument is because I think so you can look at like Jim Jones you know, right, right. You know and think Jim Jones he set up to do good he was a, a pastor etc cetera, etc cetera, and then he did some horrible things like you know basically killed his whole compound right you, you know but then you have like you know you have someone like you know I believe someone like you know whether whatever people want to say about and I'm not going to get political but people want to say anything about Donald Trump I think in his heart I think he I think in everyone's heart truly I, I like to believe that people are out to do good yeah it's not like, you know like, like I mean? people don't wake up in the morning and wring their hands and go I'm going I'm going to say some crazy things. I think yeah. people, they, they're, they're trying to go, go from their life experience and try to do good in the world. Right. And then it's all the complications and the things that go in between it that make a person, you know, make it a good or bad decision. Right, right, right. And yeah. also, you know, people in general are, are more complex than just are they good I think or are so they too. Bad. Yeah, but I'm a bit more of a Pollyanna in that way. I, I really do believe that all people at the, at the essence are good. And then through your life experience and the challenges and things like that, that you have the power to be completely horrific. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I like to believe that all people are good and almost every day social media works real hard to change that opinion. <laughs> every day. Every you day know? you wake up on Twitter. It's oh like, my it's God. You know. Yeah, it just, you know, or just... <laughs> Like on Facebook, you know, it's just the people, I don't know, people come out of the woodwork and are like, oh no, stop, don't, ch- stop trying to change my opinion it's of true, the goodness but, of mankind. <laughs> but I think these people are like in basements of their parents' house or something like that and they're just like seeing how sick and twisted I they I think can alarmingly be. they're not. I think they in are people that you, yeah, because it's such a, there's so much escapism yeah. with it because, you know, it really does, it really does create this system where it's a it's a very interesting sociological experiment where you go what happens when human beings don't have to assume any responsibility for their actions yeah what do people become yeah and you know i I do believe that a lot of it is is vapor i think a lot of it's just venting i think a lot of it's just taking other frustration and 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 venting at things and i don't think people i don't think a, a large percentage of people really mean necessarily the Do you things think that they, they just say. want to be heard in some way. Do, yes. they, they want someone to respond to it in some way. Well, yeah. I think it's you know everyone wants to feel significant in some way, and everyone needs attention. Everyone needs to connect. Yeah. And I think at a certain point, it just becomes like um, like the the misbehaving child. It's like, well, if I don't get attention by being good, I'm just going to wreck the fucking place exactly. and then get attention. And you're going to love me at some point. It's, you're going yeah, 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 yeah. to have to deal with me. Yeah. I'm going to get attention from you at some point. And I also think, 
there's a, I think there's a really interesting analogy between the way people conduct their social media lives and, and the news media. Yeah. And that the, the news media uses those, you know, fear tactics and shock tactics. And, you know, they speak a lot in superlatives of this is the worst thing or this is the most. And I think because people now are news feeds on social media, they employ the same tactics. So they, you know, they don't just not like a movie. They fucking hate the yeah. fucking worst. It's worse than they, Hitler. You know, <laughs> they want a banner. So yeah, you, yeah, so yeah. you can, t- you, they want, also, but isn't that just symptomatic of like all of, a lot of social media? People just want, I want you to acknowledge me. I want likes. Yeah. I want to feel that you, I'm worthy. I have value. Validation. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's validation mm-hmm. in a, in in a system that's a very weird way to get validated. Well, how is yeah. your social media? How is your how is how have things changed for you since this show? Well, you know, more than anything, I've always been a bit. I'm, I'm a private person, but I I like to you know I, I share things that I think people may be interested. I try to be inspirational. I try to have some fun, but also just try to keep it a. I try to keep it light. I mean, honestly, a lot of times people want you to, want me to respond in some way to some of the ills of the things that are going on in the world. And I also, I feel like my, I always make a conscious choice. It's like, yeah, I could respond and just say like, oh yeah, that I, this is an issue with race or or the politics or things like that. But I feel like it's more productive actually for me that I use it as a, a medium. I'm like, if people are listening to what I have to say, I'll put up something to counterbalance that, something about love or about right. you know investigating you know your self worth or something like that. You know what I mean? And like, like I say, I always go back to I'm a bit of a Pollyanna in that way. I really feel like I just try to be very conscious of like what I'm putting out into the universe and hopefully it's something positive. You know? Yeah, I think that's a constructive way to use social media. And I think that when, you know, I think when people tweet things in their minds, they check a box like, yeah, I did something good today. It's like, yeah. well, you, you didn't yeah. really yeah, yeah. People do think that they, anything. They, they, they marched or something yeah, or they didn't. did so they or they, you know, sit down with the system. No, they just put out a tweet. Right, right, That's right. Not really doing anything. It's like yelling in your car, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yelling to no one. Exactly. But I think this this approach of actually trying to to spread positivity because you know I, I really do try to do the same thing and yeah. I get a lot you do, of sh- you do. I, yeah I follow you yeah. I get a lot of shit for it especially because you know it's like on Talking Dead I don't I don't go well these were my five problems with this episode it's like <laughs> right. yeah I know but there's cynicism everywhere yeah. and you know it's not about there's no directive from the networks like you have to do this like right. I, I just if you want negativity it's not hard to find <laughs> right, so exactly, why, why exactly. can we not you know like it's it happiness is such a choice and it takes work yeah, that's so, the truth. So, you know, you have to, like, put it out. So I, I appreciate yeah. this approach. Yeah, I man. really appreciate this approach. Were you what? Were you always that way, or did you have to learn to be that way? I've always been that way, actually. I've, I think I've always been that way. I feel like I've been... Um, I'm just really conscious of, like, what I put out into the universe. I think whether it's the choices that I make in my career and the things that I want to do, I'm very conscious of that. I feel like it's, like, it is a responsibility as well. I mean, I don't know if it comes... I don't know where that comes from, whether my parents instilled that in me or where I come from or whatever, but I feel like it's like we can be very conscious about what we're putting into the universe, so why not? Right. You know, I'm just not the willy-nilly kind of person. So I think that, um, yeah, whether I'm on, and I'm not on everything. I'm like, more than anything, I really enjoy Instagram because that picture is worth a thousand. Of course. Or a million. Yes. Or a hundred thousand likes. hundred thousand likes. Like this no. picture. But I'm not obsessed with the likes, though. And people are like, you know, I may post something and people are like, oh my God, did you read the comments? And I'm like, no. Like and then they're weird. They're like, and then some fans can get a little weird. Like, oh, you don't, you're not responding. I'm like, oh, I didn't know it was about that part of engagement, but I can do that here and there. But it's like I can't sit around engaging. You know, don't read the comments because no. you'll, you'll get a hundred really nice comments, and some someone will just say something in all caps. That's really that's really <laughs> it. Just makes you feel bad for humanity, <laughs> right? And then you can only focus on that one thing. It's, yeah, it's bad. But I think you know, um, 
people always need some sort of um, a scale or a metric or something. Yeah. Because it's so difficult to tell if every if things that you're doing are having any effect, and so I, you know, that's obviously why people get obsessed with that stuff. But it really doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't really mean any. Like, no. what does it really mean? Exactly. The one thing I do, I always respond to kindness when people when someone says something really nice or something like that, or I don't know. Sometimes I'll if like, and I don't hope hopefully don't get all of a sudden all these requests. But sometimes they're like, oh, it'll be really nice if Coleman said happy birthday to me. I'm like, that's not that takes a second. Sure. So I'm like, happy birthday. I'll even send a video. Oh, that's now nice. Now I'm going to get bombarded by everyone <laughs> asking for their birthdays now. But you know, but but you know, but I think it's a it's nice if I can engage and I have a moment and I'm sitting there, you know, at Starbucks having a coffee, I'll do it. <laughs> well, how did you develop? I mean, this is such an interesting this is such an interesting point of view for an actor, uh-huh. you know, because act you know acting can be such a there's you know this this idea of setting out to get up in front of people and and be a performer and yeah. you know I think there's a lot of it that's there's a lot of attention involved and there's a lot yeah. of like I need you know there there are weird needs that you have for attention or validation or whatever and in in a similar way I think what we we're talking about so how do you uh, how, how how do you not have all that stuff you know what I think it's because I think I don't know I've always been a I, I don't know. I guess basically I've been addicted to the craft of being a craftsman, and it's all about the work for me. And so I, you know, I my career started in the, out in the theater. So I'm really a, a person who really likes the engagement of like you know being in the in a dark room and you know, that sounds weird already. <laughs> but you know, but you know, being in this dark space of course and sharing these stories and having this engagement to, with another person. So I'm really interested in that. And in my television and film career, there's not so much of that with engagement. You get that when you go to Comic Con and you have sure. the, the fans and the friends. And so I actually don't have a problem with like engaging with people. I have no problem with going out and taking a selfie. Um, if I see 500 people there, I'm like, now I can't do 500 people, but we can do one big one. Right. And you can tag yourself. Right. But I think that is actually important. Actually, that there's you you have to it's just the medium is set up that way that you have to have that engagement right and i think it's a healthy engagement to have too um uh i don't want to be so removed actually it's like i've actually had um i don't know if this is part answering the question but i had a conversation with some friends where that you know especially when on a show like fear the walking dead where all of a sudden there's a lot of attention and i live in new york city and i'm not a person that, that feels like i want to be you know hiding myself all the time right. i think part of being an artist is also being out there in the world i don't want to be just being in a, you know this you know in a car or something like that i like getting the subway i like seeing people and you know stepping in piss on the street you know the reason i know but i know what you mean you know what i mean you're talking about real human experience exactly i want to have real human experiences i don't want to i don't want to be sheltered from that and i think that's also that's what feeds me as an artist and so i i I, i'm act i actively make sure that i'm still part of you know, society and, right. and showing up and being there. Because if you're isolated, then you how, can't can create. You, how can you connect? I think yeah. you can't. I think you can't. I think we've seen certain artists, I think, you know, I won't name any names, but you see certain artists that may have made a, a career off of like, you know, their engagement, whether being a comedian and being out there in the streets and with people. And all of a sudden they reach the, the echelons of society and they're so removed from it. They can't go to the corner store and get those stories right. from the bodega anymore. They have to create this whole other thing and become this other thing that's so far away from what they started out to do right and i I like the idea of having that engagement and i I constantly want it and and is it do people on the streets of new york because i feel like new york's one of those places where unless you get near the more touristy spots people in new york uh, by and large they kind of don't they're just there to 
go from a, point A to point B, do their job, you know, like they, not really. They are until you're on Fear of the Walking Dead. <laughs> and then they, cha- then they run out of uh, restaurants and leave their wife and kid. And oh, they come wow. out to get a selfie because they're, they're like, I, well, first of all, I'm sure they're like, I can't believe Victor Strand is walking down the street right. in his gym clothes. <laughs> yeah, you, know, <laughs> you know, so they're excited. And so they're really excited. And so, the, you know, I'm, that happened to me like once we got back from Mexico and I just walked my usual walk, which is like about 10 blocks to go to the gym. And I got stopped like 12 times. And I thought, oh, wow, I, I forgot, you know, that 10 this blocks. Was, yeah. 10 blocks to walk to the gym. I know. Isn't that crazy? I know, a, you live in L.A. You're good, like, what? I know. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. It, um, uh, an L.A. block, though, is not really the <laughs> no, same. Right, like, an right. L.A. block is kind of iffy. Right. <laughs> you don't want to walk too much no, in people L.A. People look at me. And, you know, and wherever I stay in L.A., I, I try to stay in neighborhoods where I can walk around. I can right. go up to a, a Whole Foods or something like that. Yeah. But, uh, and people look at me like I'm crazy. Like, why are you walking? No, I love walking in right? New York. It's such a night. It feels mm-hmm. so good yeah. to just go, oh, yeah, 20 blocks is no big deal. It's great. It's yeah. so perfect. Yeah, it's great. Well, it. Are you guys? You're shooting now. We no. We we start shooting again in December. You start shooting. Oh, so you have some time up. Mm-hmm. But I know you're doing a. You're working on a play. Yeah, I'm directing. And then Birth of a Nation comes out. Yeah, I'm in October. Play, I'm directing a play at the Geffen right now called Barbecue, and it's a dark satire about addiction, family, and uh, Hollywood. And uh, and it, it stars like Francis Fisher and Dale Dickey. Dale Dickey is in my play. And how did you? I love. You... She just. She just wanted to do it. She, you know, uh, you know, you know, the breakdown went out to agents, and and she said, I really want to do this play. Dale Dickey is someone who I think she hands down one of the best actresses in the world. She, you know, uh, you know, I was a fan of hers when I saw Winter's Bone, and I thought, who is that? Who's embodying all of that? You know, with that beautiful character well-lived face you know and and so she came in to meet with me and wanted to do this play and i thought hey you could do whatever you want (laughs) you could direct the play if you like do you direct (laughs) no do you do do you are you conscious to do you direct her do you think you can direct her well are you like well you just do what you want or do you do you you speak i think i think you lay the the found the framework and the foundation i think a, a good director you lay the framework foundation and in and set your actors free in that way. As long as they have you know these places where they can go and give them some great structure. And so I, I do give her direction. I give her direction and you know just to you know. But it's like it's all what she's bringing you know. But I ask I ask my actors to bring my actors to bring everything they can to the table and be a collaborator with me. It's never just like I have all the ideas. Sure. It's like no. I I, I I'm the kind of director that'll say there's a lot of things I don't know. I'm going to discover together. And I think it's healthy. That's what I've always the way I've always been. Um, Creating things, it's like you have to create with the spirit of, I I feel like I'm going to get found out that I don't know everything. You know, they're going to find out that I have no idea what I'm doing. Right. Yeah, but you should. I feel like you should always feel that way. It feels liberating. You feel like a kid. You feel like, uh, you know, the the gods will come and rain down and sprinkle something special on it because of that. Do you? What's your favorite? What do you like about directing play theater? I've I've always had a big mouth. And I think about, <laughs> and I always have ha- opinions. And I thought, I always, I really, I've always, uh, but I've never, even as an actor, I've never just looked at the the micro of being an actor. I've always looked at what exactly was happening in the whole production. So uh, and that's what I'm even doing on Fear of the Walking Dead. I'm like, I'm always looking at the whole. And so I've always been, I've been directing since about 1998 uh, when I was directing in San Francisco, and I was no more as an actor director. And then I moved to New York, and I was more actor, director, and then writer as well. So, But directing is a muscle I love to use because I, I just love bringing things together. I, I, in my own private life, I, I throw great parties, and I think that's what a director... <laughs> basically, I think that's what a director does. You bring all the elements of having a great party. You get, get the good caterer, you get the good you know, performers, you get great conversationalists, and you mix them all together, and you make some magic. But when you're, when you're doing theater specifically, 
do you like doing do you like doing an original work or do you like kind of tackling something that's been done a bunch of times before and putting your own spin on it? New work is really exciting because I think uh it's at the idea of like the idea of creating something that was never there is interesting to me. You know, like we're going to create a whole new piece of theater. This piece in particular came from uh was at the Public Theater in New York and I was actually involved in it as an actor uh in a few of the early workshops. And so I was able to all of a sudden now to see this and sit in the uh, director's chair with this and really uh, help articulate how can this be done uh, with these actors uh, at this time and and how it is significant to, you know, to what's happening, whether it's in entertainment, whether it's with our ra- uh, climate about race, you know what I mean? Because it's saying so many things about that or dealing with addiction. So I like to just set up the room. I, I, I'm a... If anything, I do know my strengths of a director. I, fu- I actually find that privately, I would always tell people I think I'm a stronger director than I am an actor. I think I think it, for me, it goes director, writer, actor. Oh wow! So acting <laughs> is like the third thing. Yeah, in the list. I, I, as an actor, I feel like it's something because I've been doing it for 25 years. Like I, I know how to access certain things and have a certain tool set where I can figure out these uh, these things pretty uh, in, in a great way. You know, hopefully in a complex way. But as a director as well, I always feel like I'm starting because you're really always starting from zero, it seems. You're like every process is going to be brand new because the play demands that whether you're working on a musical or a play, a new work, a classic work. But it, you're constantly shifting and you're constantly growing and, you're const- and, and your actors and what they bring into the room. You're constantly shifting. So that's what I, I find exciting about it. And I feel like my, my, my skill set is set for that in a way because I, I really know how to um, – I have 10 actors in this play. And so you're almost – in a stranger, you become ten, uh, ten therapists. <laughs> you, know, you have to figure out exactly what this actor needs, how they can get to the work. Okay, that one is very far ahead in the process. Okay, I need to bring this up. The, you know, it's it's really your sort of pa- your painting, your uh, your uh, conducting. You're doing many things, and I feel like that's my. I think that some people are just set that way. I feel like I'm I'm constantly. Noel over here will tell you I'm constantly working on like five or six things at one time. Oh, you do do multitasking. Yeah, because that's constantly – that's just the way my brain works. That's the way I actually get things done. If someone just tells me, oh, I'm just focusing on this television show right now, I think I'd be a little like, you know, lax and a little lazy maybe. But if I have to do that and I have uh, two outlines due on a, on a, a couple plays and pre-production of uh, something I'm directing, I'll get everything done. Yeah, yeah. And do you want to do? Do you want to transition in directing film and television? I'm I'm very interested in. I just became curious in directing television. Actually, um, just watching the way the mechanics of like a show like Fear the Walking Dead works with all its components is exciting for me. The idea of like um, harnessing all of that and and telling a good story is very fascinating. I've been very interested in camera work. Mm-hmm. I even even the way you know the way I, the way I've come into the theater, the way I've come into this art form. And many of these art forms were by doing. I didn't have any formal training. I didn't go to like Juilliard or NYU or anything. I learned by working. And so I've been learning a lot, even just being on set with Fear the Walking Dead. And even recently, this film that I just did in New York, I'm constantly watching the way and listening. I find myself, I'm always like eavesdropping on conversations between the DP and the director and figuring, you know, my director always notices that I'm always, every director notices that I'm usually standing right behind him. <laughs> Like, so if they're calling Coleman to set, they're like, oh, we need Coleman on set. You're like, oh, he's actually right here. Because I'm, kind of, I'm just fascinated with what's going on. You know what I mean? Once again, I'm never just thinking as an actor. I'm constantly just looking at all of the departments and how it's working. And so now I have a fascination with directing television. Yeah, well, because know? with theater, you, you're basically seeing, you know, the audience is seeing 
everything yeah. to a degree. But when you direct film or television, you're really it's a different type of storytelling, right? Because you yeah. have to you're telling the audience what to pay attention to. Exactly. You're focusing them. Yeah. And even when I go into ADR sessions, I'm finding I'm constantly watching, well, why did the editor make the choice to now have that dialogue off screen and it's focused on that actor here? And just trying to get into – I just have questions like I'm trying to figure out why because that doesn't make sense to me why it would be cut that way. But it makes sense emotionally to someone else. Someone says this makes sense to tell the story this way. So I, I direct from a place and I act from a place and write from a place with a lot of questions. Right. You know, And I think that – um, that's why I, I get involved in, in. I'm like, oh wow! I think once I've answered a lot of questions in something, I feel like okay, I, I kind of got a handle on that. But now I'm just like, what's that other new thing? That's interesting. You know, maybe I'm going to turn out to be a DP or something. I have no idea. Or you know, but you must have a story that's just sort of festering inside somewhere that I do. needs to come out. I do. I actually do right now. I actually do. My story that I need that I need to come out is to tell James Baldwin's story. Tell me about James Baldwin. James Baldwin is one of the most formidable thinkers, writers, uh, revolutionaries, uh, uh, playwright, writer, thinker uh, that America has ever produced. And um, I think he, he's, he's truly the greatest. And, uh, and, I, and for a long time, I, mean, I just um, – I can say it because I actually just got the – I got some – you know, some, uh, an agreement to – work on one of his biographies and because I'm very interested in um, telling his story and I think it should be told. I'm very interested in telling <clears throat> these extraordinary human being stories in a way that is not like cradle to grave in a way that is really just um, really getting to the essence of their writing about their activism. Whether you take a story like my, like my Angelou story, I feel like the idea of boiling someone's story down to two hours is just not enough for me. These right. days. I feel like, especially with so many platforms, I'm like, why not a Tim part miniseries sure. on this extraordinary human being's life. You know, whether you take Muhammad Ali's life, and I'm like, that's a that's an enormous life. Right. Wouldn't it be interesting to to say, let's not boil it down to two and a half hours. Let's you know, let's let's make this an event because it's and I think that we'll find we'll find all the the crossroads of other human beings in their event, you know, that are stirring um our our political consciousness, our our social consciousness, you name it. So I think that those things and I think because we are I don't know, always looking for answers. And we always have to go back in the history books to find out who we are today. So I think it's interesting. So I want to tell stories like that. I want to tell James Baldwin stories. I want to tell stories about Muhammad Ali. I want to tell stories about Maya Angelou. Scripted stories or like documentary <clears throat> stories? Scripted stories. Because now is the perfect time to do, you know, everyone goes nuts for this six to eight part miniseries. Yeah. Ten, ten episodes. Yeah. You know, you get an amazing cast. That's it's what like, I okay, want. Well, come, you know, it's like doing a movie. Yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. Exactly. So I'm going to call on you. I think I think you should be in one of them too. What? Yeah, what? <laughs> I would. Don't ever ask. Although you may get me on set and be like, "Oh, this is why he doesn't act in things a lot. This is why people don't ever ask him to do this kind of." Really, thing. But, but I think that you're like so. But yeah, what I get from you, you're such a. I always think you're such a generous human being. Just being in the room with you, hearing that you're such a generous spirit. I always think that that translates into it. Just translates if people just know that that's at the core. That's who you it's are. It's a very forgiving yeah. way to yeah. uh, to. To, I appreciate I appreciate that, sure, sure. but I I I would love to. I mean, this is the kind of thing where the more you talk about it, the more momentum it'll get, and I feel like someone will do it. I mean, like I don't. I, I, so. I think you'll. It's, this seems completely achievable to I, me. I hope so. I think. I mean, I've been a, a playwright for years too. I've written. Um, I've had what three plays published? Four. Four plays published, and 
I'm very interested in telling stories and being a storyteller. And so whether that means uh, in the theater or film or television, and a lot of times I'm like, because I haven't said that I wanted to direct film, it doesn't mean that that's not something I'm, I'm interested in. I just didn't know exactly what the project is. Right. But I think no matter what, I'm just really interested in telling stories. And I think that I've always been... Um, I, I teach at times as well, and I'm, I'm always inspiring students to not just think about being an actor, to think to be a storyteller, to have more agency in your career, uh, to not just sit back and just say that that's just who you are, being an actor. I mean, if you're a storyteller, you're a storyteller. And I really believe that it, is, it crosses mediums. You know, I, don't, I don't believe there should be one. People always say, well, what do you like to do better? I'm like, actually, this, I like to tell stories. I don't have to be in front of the camera. I just like whatever way I can help facilitate. I've been a producer. Uh, I used to produce theater. That's when I first met a, a lot of my close friends in San Francisco when I was producing theater. It was like, you know, for 500 bucks. Yeah. You know? But like, I just want to get the stories out there. That's a very, yeah. I think that's a, and I think that's a very, that's very indicative of someone with a strong theater background. It's like, mm -hmm. you do whatever you can do to get the thing made. Yeah. If you have to pull the rope on the curtain or you're exactly. acting in it or yeah. you're working concessions, it's like yeah. everyone, you know, a, a small team of people bands together to just get this thing out into exactly. the world. And it's not about being seen. It's not about all these other things that I think these other tropes that people get caught up in in terms of like what they think being uh, a creative or actor is. You know, a lot of times people see, they see the, 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 the end result. They see you on a red carpet or something and think that, oh, that's what being an actor is. You're like, no, that's part of the work of the actor. Right. But it's not like, that's not actually why you, I, I didn't get into this business to be on red carpets. Ah, it's know? so interesting. Although I do love really great clothes. I mean, so they're nice. Still yeah, free. they're nice. Yeah, yeah exactly. Send you, know? you stuff, <laughs> shoes. Send me things. Uh, but 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 I do think uh, I do think what you're describing <clears throat> is a good quality of a leader, which I think is what translates to strand. Mm -hmm. And I think is kind of the underlying one of the underlying things of like what makes a what makes a person magnetic. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, you know, they're engaging because they want to be, not because they need to be. You know what yeah. I mean? Like Strand yeah. doesn't need any he doesn't I mean, he you know, nuance, yes, he everyone right. needs someone. But he doesn't. It doesn't seem like he's going to do what he's going to do. Yeah. And you can you can be along for that, or you don't have to be. Yeah. And that's. <laughs> I think that's what's sort of like compelling about a character or a person. Is yeah. Like they don't. They don't necessarily. They, you don't. There's no desperation. They don't need. They don't need you. Chris, you're 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 speaking on something. You just made me realize something because the genesis of even my self tape audition for Strand, I was in that place in my career. To be very honest, where I felt like. You know what? I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. You know what? I'm going to self-tape this. This is going to be self-taped and send it off. I'm like, this is what I think about the character. I don't need anything. I don't need anything from – if you want to work with me, this is what I'm going to bring. I'm going to bring you all these colors and things like that. I'm not going to get these notes from, from the casting director saying, oh, he's this way. I'm like, this is going to be my creation of it, and I'm going to leave it at that. Right. And you either want this or not. It was just one of those moments. And actually, that moment was the moment I booked the show. There was no <laughs> – there was no – callbacks and you know network and all that all those other hoops that actors usually go through it was one of those moments where it's like oh, okay that's either that's what i want or not i have a th I've, I've always had a little theory about that and how it why why it is that way and i think it probably is just some ancient biological thing that if you think you know as a species we have to survive yeah. and so when you're picking a community or where you're picking people to align yourself with to hopefully pass your dna down yeah. to survive if something, if someone needs something, 
that means they're not getting something. Yeah. And so they seem desperate. They're, they're like logically, maybe they don't have the the right thing to survive or to yeah. propagate those genes. But someone who, but a, an entity who doesn't need anything, it's like, oh, well, they've got everything covered. Yeah. That's probably the safest. But they know something I don't know. Yeah. I need and to you're know drawn what to that. that is. You're drawn to that. Yeah. By on a biological level, you're drawn to yeah. that. Yeah. That's. It. I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. I think that. Uh, when we're in that state and we feel so, um, I don't know, that we have agency in the world. Right. People are drawn to that. Um, but also, you know, also you get the blood suckers as well. They want to suck all the blood. And they want to take it all. They want to take it all. Of course. But, you know, you want to align yourself with people who like, you, you know, and I think that's what like Strand has with Madison. You know, they look at each other. They sort of sniffed each other out and they're like, we're made of the same stuff. Yeah. And, and, and I'm, 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 I'm kind of not into it, but I'm really into it at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, survivors recognize other survivors. Yeah. You know, they really yeah, do. Like they true. can tell. Okay. Yeah. Because her character, th- there's definitely some dark thing, something fucked up in her past. <laughs> because yes. she's just too okay with everything. Yeah, like, oh, yeah. She'll, like, you know, break something over someone's head and, like, yeah, so let's go get some breakfast. Well, I mean, just in dealing, you know, with a son who's had such a, like, such horrible addiction problems yeah. and she's, she, it just, it all, like, all of the darkness seems so familiar to her. Yeah. That it, you know, like, those two characters just, re- yeah, you're right, they just recognize each other. Yeah, immediately from the, from Jump Street. And it's one of those things where they're, like, it's a little. It's it's exciting. It's fun. It's weird, and it's dark all at the same time. And yeah. it's a little sexy. It, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. definitely have some kind of a connection, and and you know that doesn't even necessarily have to be a romantic connection. It's no. just a connection. Yeah, and sexy, if it is sexy, is sexy. If yeah. it is great, if not great too. Right. Uh, but, it, but isn't that thing about just about attraction? That attraction is complicated. Of you course. Know what I mean, and just the idea that like you know. These two people who may think that they have nothing in common, but they're thrown together at the apocalypse, and it's something you're like, you're like, oh, that's something that's really, um, I'm, you're attracted to that, sure, you know, whatever that is, you know. Well, I mean, it's you know, I, I think sometimes this idea of like what makes people alike and not alike. I mean, I think you know there are external things that are very accidental, like oh, this person likes Wheaties and this person likes Cheerios. Yeah. They're yeah. so different, like. Well, but the underlying thing that makes them pick either one of those things might be identical. You yeah. know, the underlying, their underlying motivations are the way that they, why they make the choices they make or what they're, you know, what drives them. Yeah. All the other stuff is really just kind of accidental and not, nece- and I don't think that really means anything. I don't, people, I don't think people have to like the same things to be a, you know, to, to get along or be yeah. attracted to one another. Yeah. But it, you know, it it helps in the long, or it it helps in long term relationships to kind of like the same things. How long have you? How long have you been? Are you married now? You're, I, I, I'm I'm in a relationship. You're in a relationship yes, now. Yes, yes, and yes. How long have you been together? Uh, we've been together for eleven years. Eleven years. Yes. So what so is this sort of in a relationship? What now? is this? <laughs> <laughs> You're still in the honeymoon yeah, phase. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, the first eleven years, they mm-hmm. say, if you can make it through that. Mm-hmm. What's a key to a to a good, healthy relationship think, over the long term? I, I think laughter. I think laughter, I think uh, being on a ride to watch this person grow and knowing that you're going to grow and, uh, and how you're going to evo- uh, evolve and being along for the ride. And I think hopefully having a good time the whole time, honestly. And, but just like being along for the ride that this person's going to change and grow. Right. Like you're, 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 about, you're about to days. do your days into your nuptials. Yes. And it's like you're going to be a, 
involved. That's what someone told me before. They're like, uh, this couple is like 70 years old. And they're like, oh, you know, just know that this person is going to go through changes and going to become something different. And you have to also like just extend yourself. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to go along for the ride. That person's going to have different needs today. They have nothing to do with me. You got to keep your own ego out of it. You're like, right. you're going to grow. They're going to grow. And, but you're going you're gonna to keep your ego out of it. And you're like, okay, cool. You know, and trust also, I think, honestly, I think, I think, honestly, with most relationships in the world, but this is my thought, but I think a lot of people are thinking like this, that I think you have to be, you can't hold anyone tight. You can't hold it and like, hope, you know, please, I hope to God that your mind, I'm going right. to control this whole thing. I think you got to hold you with your hand open and trust that, you know, that, you know, hey, they may slip through a little bit in some way, whatever. But who knows? If they come back, they come back. If they go through your hands, they go through your hands and life goes on. You grow. Yeah. You know what I mean? You hope that you're together forever. Of course. You know, but, you know, but life is life. Yeah, you know, I... uh, That's my advice to you that I'm I'm giving you right before you... That's life. It's not... not, Well, you know, what's interesting (laughs) is that... Although this... I don't don't want anyone to misconstrue my point of this, but it made me think... What you were saying made me think of this. Someone said something really amazing to me once. They said, you know, it's not a... It's about the having, not about the keeping. You know, like Mm -hmm. we get so tied to... I have to own all this stuff forever. And it's like, well, maybe you could just enjoy the time that you have that stuff. Yeah. And be, that, be in and, the moment. And having it. Yeah. I think that's really just a more complicated way of saying be in the moment. Yeah. But, you know, that that being but said. But that's a hard thing for most people to do because people are, I think we're just kind of constantly set up to like think about the future and think about all the other stuff you're trying to build up instead of just thinking this is what it is today. Yeah. And well, enjoy today. there's no. Yeah. I mean, if you need any, you know, I, I think. I don't know if the world is any worse than it's ever been. Mm. We're more aware of it now because yeah. of because of social media and because of the internet and because of how much media we can and access shit it we're immediately. just cramming into our heads. So we're seeing all of it in real time. Yeah, and uh, and it's really crazy. And I don't know if we're any more. I don't know if we're any worse off than we were before. But the fact that people can't live in the present, and if you need any more evidence, like watching people take pictures the whole time I, or video the whole okay. time, or something. I, they're not living in the moment. They're going, well, I'm going to – I'm capturing this for a future time that they're never going to look at. I don't understand that. When you see people and like and they're standing there, that, that's what happened at Comic-Con. It's like – and I wanted to tell people, I'm like, just be here. Right. It's okay. And also to know that their camera is going to get this and you can actually access it anytime you want. You don't have to stand there with your phone watching you know you know recording this it's like but it's like i think we're just so attached to it but i'm I'm so old school in that way i think you know i'm you know i'm 46 years old so i'm from a generation like this is still new stuff to me sure so i'm still so uh analog that i'm not really built that way you know i'm not going to sit you know at a concert or an interview or something i have my phone on i'm like now i'll trust at the moment it's going to be awesome this is great and it's for me who are you going to share that with is it for your mother i don't know like, but if it's for your mom but trust me we have a three camera crew back there capturing right. this it's going to be probably a little bit better and better edited than your phone. and i've i've noticed that because listen i'm guilty of it too I, right. just, I saw radiohead the other night i took some video at the radiohead concert but i but i know that when i've watched it back I don't feel the same as I did when I was there. I'm like, oh no. yeah, I was there. Oh yeah, I remember that. Like, mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not as connected to it. Right. It's kind of nice, but you know, but just sort of collecting all these things. I, I just. I don't know if it. I feel like we're we're just deferring our enjoyment to a time that we're never actually going to use. It's true, unless the person dies or something. Of course. Yeah. You know, right, right. Ah, I think, shit. I no, yeah, I always go back. No, Why, right. Maybe it is good I'm on a show like Fear the Walking Dead because I'm always talking about death. Death. But, no, but I think because it's inevitable. But I do think that um, I did have a – I admit that I did, took some from a Prince concert. Like mm-hmm. the last one he did, the last 
concert here in LA at the Forum. Now you're probably happy you have it. Yeah, I'm like, I have it, and it's like, and I look at it, I'm like, wow, yeah, that was that last moment. You God, know? It's so fucked up because you never, ugh, you know, you just don't know what's going on with people. I mean, you know, I'm sure it's easy for people to go, oh, Prince is a genius. What? Well, how could he? I mean, what do you, he that, could play any instrument? He's like he's one of the greatest performers yeah, in the ever. history of performance. Yeah, and that, wow, that, look at all that, these problems he was having that, that we didn't know about. That, you know, because he was human, and that that devastated me. But also, that's also the thing that we also we always do to these you know larger than life human beings. I think that we don't. I don't know. We don't give them a break to be human in a way, like like with Michael Jackson or Whitney Houston, or you know. I feel like I've, we've lost so many people in our generation that are like of our times, like the voice of our times, right? The performer of our times, um, and uh, it, it's devastating. But e- each time you find out when you go more into their their private lives, you know, you're like they weren't able. Which is maybe this is why I'm so vigilant about always being in touch with people, because I think that when you're so far removed. And people don't allow you to be human anymore. The, that uh, I'm sure there's pressures to that in sure. some way. You know that we we that are unimaginable to us. You know? Right. And so I think that, and also I think that just human contact is just very important. I think that these people lack that, and you know just being able to like you know the idea of Prince riding his bike around the Paisley Park compound or riding around his neighborhood and people you know it's like that's the most he could do. I think he was desperately trying to have that normalcy in his life. You know, but other people couldn't do that you know at all they were constantly being well know. some people i think are performers because it can be difficult for them to connect mm-hmm. but like just you know i'm not super comfortable at parties yeah i can perf- i can do stand-up for ten thousand, twenty thousand right. people but if i'm in a party with people i i just i get a little like are, are, you, are, are you better it, one-on-one with people i can i do i can do fine one-on-one once it starts you know like once it gets going but right. i always feel out of place when i'm at a party i always feel like ah, i don't know i didn't be here it's weird i don't everyone i don't know what to say i just <laughs> i don't know you know so i think for some people you know maybe they go into perform they go into a life like that well, yeah. because they like the art but also it allows them to express it allows them to connect with people yeah. but then you know a guy like prince especially coming out of the era that he came out of the you know yeah. the, it's just so it's just so isolating it just yeah. feels so it just seems so isolating yeah and then we just but also we also we sort of deify them in a way in a way that they can't be human i, I know when prince came to philadelphia uh when i was what 16 i was such a huge prince fan i think i got in no i was i was 17 some, it doesn't matter. But no matter what, I drove my um, 1983 Chevy Chevette nice. around after the Prince concert, after the Love Sexy concert, because I feel like I had to meet him. I had to meet him. <laughs> I, had to, I had to find out where his hotel was. What was I going to do? What was I going to do? But I drove around. Hey, Prince, I'm I, calling. I, like, what am I going to do? I, like, that's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> but that's what you know they, they sort of bring out in you as well. But why do we also – but it make me think, like, in hindsight years later, like, why do we give people that much – like, we have – we. Is it a lack in ourselves that we deify these people? These just—he's an artist, like anyone else. But say so he brought out something in you that you can't. Yeah, that's the thing. Is that I think you know we. I think part of our survival is we. I mean, if we don't believe in stuff, then I think it's like, well, why? What are we doing? Yeah. And I'm not saying it has to be. You know, I'm not particularly religious. I don't think it has to be religious. I just think, but people need hope. They need to believe in it's something true. greater to maybe to inspire them to achieve or yeah. to to feel like thing, anything's possible and yeah. so it's probably just you know like prince was a guy I and mean, you see him perform you're like oh yeah i guess anything's possible if that guy can yeah you know that, that. Guy's a, so this is, you know this tiny man who can play everything yeah. 
and do everything and on six stage. inch stilettos. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's extraordinary. Yeah, it's He's my god. Exactly. Of course. <laughs> right. of course. He's my of course lord. You and feel savior. like you got to find that guy and track him down, <laughs> even if you don't know exactly what it is that you need from him. <laughs> right. And the truth of the matter is, if you had tracked him down, it probably would have been a very disappointing exchange. It probably would have. <laughs> so it's probably better that you didn't track him down. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah, exactly. But, yeah, I know it's true because now that when you meet certain people, like I've had a second engagement with meeting Aretha Franklin, which was actually lovely. But the first time I met Aretha Franklin on the street, and I didn't meet her. I walked by her and she's going into Christie's and I'm just some random dude. Of course, I realized that it's so crazy. I was just like so like overcome. I was like, oh, oh, Aretha Franklin. Hi, I'm such a huge fan. Hi. Oh, my God. You're amazing. And she probably looked at this crazy guy and, was just, and she ignored me. She looked at me and kept walking. Right. And I was like. Boo. Oh, I'm hurt. But from her point of view, she's probably, you know, has happened for decades. For decades. And she, you know, it's just a mode that they go into. But I think as a fan, the best thing that you can do is just, I found my best experience with people is when I didn't have any expectations for myself. Yeah. I wasn't trying to get anything from the other person. It was just like, hey, I just want to let you know. That I think you're amazing. Yeah. And I, I did that with Catherine O'Hara yeah. at um, some party. She was there, and I went up and was like, sorry to bother you. I just want to tell you I think you're amazing. Have a good night. And she right. was like, hey, I know who you are. And I was like, what? <laughs> but those times when I've you know, like tried to hang out and expect something, right. they just never – they never – because those it, people don't know what to give. Yeah, it's so weird. But you have to do this thing. Isn't it like you – I think when you – the, the thing that I, I always try to turn around when people just immediately like, oh, my God, oh, my God, you, 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 he plays Strand. Can I get a selfie? I'm like, when he goes straight for the selfie, I'm like, hey, what's your name? Yeah, of Let's course. actually have a real connection. Let's connect a little bit. You know, or like somebody like, I think I was in costume and I was actually, you know, shooting. And I said, like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't shoot in costume. Oh, man, we really want a selfie. I'm like, no, how about this? How about how about like, it was this young girl? I'm like, can I give you a hug? Let's let's have a hug and like let's hug it out and talk. Let's have I a said, human let, experience. Let, let's say that, that and tell people that that you know. Let's, what's your name and you, what are you interested in? What are you doing here? We actually had an exchange. I'm like, yeah, that's better than a selfie. Yeah, you know, and, and it's one of my favorite. You can things Photoshop about- me in any photo you want. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things about this sort of Comic Con culture is that I think it's a really nice group to have. Yeah, uh, it's a nice community to be a part of, and so. You know, when people come up to me, they're really sweet. Yeah. And I'm totally I love talking. I but love you, talking. You're like you're like you're like the king of Comic Con though. Like I like I just felt like you were like I felt like a, it was nice because you I feel like you are um such a champion of like sort of this this, you know, the comic book culture and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And I feel like you you're a great sort of representation. I, I just like- I just honestly feel like I you know, when I was growing up, I was very ashamed of the things that I was into because that sliver of culture was socially ostracized. You know, mm-hmm. we didn't have the internet yet. I'm, yeah. You and I are almost the same age. Yeah. And so in the eight, you know, like. 26, yeah. Yeah, 26. Yeah. I was 24. <laughs> so uh, I, I can make myself two years younger. <laughs> but the, uh, you know, and so. I, I was I always felt like the stuff that I was into was difficult to be very open about because I didn't I was I was constantly ridiculed for right. you know chess club or being in the computer lab or whatever it was right and so as I got older I just never wanted people to feel that way so that's why I'm part one of the reasons why I'm so inclusive because my family moved a lot I never felt like I fit in and I ne- and I just don't want people to feel like they don't fit in I yeah. want people to feel like 
you fit in. You know, yeah. whatever you're into, unless it's murder, yeah. um, you, you fit in. Mur- murder nerds not welcome. But, uh, but everything else. Like, I always want people to feel like, hey, you know what? Even if I don't fully get what that thing is that you're doing, you're passionate about it. Yeah. And that's good enough. Yeah. You know, so it must be, it must be important. I think, that, I think that's beautiful. I think it's just, I mean, once again, it's a, it's a great way to keep extending ourselves as human beings. Yeah. Like, my nephew actually showed up um, uh, to 4th of July and I you had the moment of like thinking like oh he's he's always been a bit on the fringe and 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 I don't know he's been like you know this black goth kid and things like that and he showed up in, for the first time he's in a I don't I still don't understand it but he's a, is he a furry he had like a furry costume on oh yeah he would have been a furry he was he is was, that a furry I mean it what was the costume it was um he called I got I guess he, himself, he was a wolf kitty yeah yeah what is that that's like a fur it's like that's fur that's in the furry family. I'd have to see the costume to tell you exactly what it is, but it was probably some type of a Kigurumi. Yeah, yeah. It was a, yeah, exactly. It was like, and he and his friends, they were all dressed in these. For, and I didn't understand it, but I thought like, oh, you know, I think that these days, and I think with because of social media and in many ways, like, there's room for all of that for all everyone who feels that they've been on the like I was bona fide, you know, nerd in every single way growing up, and I feel like I feel like my time has come. <laughs> it has come because <laughs> I don't think that's any different. Yeah. You know, the Kigurumi or you know that expression. Isn't really any different than like in the '80s, where people would do the mohawks with the yeah. like, green, mo- and they are not weird to see now. At the time, people, would, you know, go, "What's up with those people?" You right. know, but it's the same kind of, you know, it's just a, it's just that type of of, of expression, and it, that's just how they feel comfortable, right? But I think also that's, I mean, don't we need more of that in, in our world? I feel like I like the idea of like just showing up on a Tuesday morning and someone's dressed in like you know some crazy costume. Well, I think it's, I think it's, a, it's so much more accepted now yeah. than it was. Mm-hmm. And even though there might be people who go like, oh, "What is that? What are you guys doing? That's weird. Get out of here!" I still think, by and large, as a culture, people, you know, that is the positive thing the internet has done is it's, you know, it's essentially localized. The world, yeah, Every, like it's yeah. Part, the world is a local community now, huh. and That's you can connect with other people. And then there's kind of something for everyone. And you know, now even if people balk at it, they go, oh, "I don't know, I think there's some internet shit kids are doing now. I don't get it." Right. You know, right? But it's not, you know, I don't think people are, you know, being run off the road because they're in a wolf costume right. anymore. So it's, I think it's a good, I think it is a good time. Yeah, I do think. I certainly think there's a long way to go, but I do believe that there is more tolerance for fringe things now than there was when I, when we were growing up. Absolutely, but a lot you know a lot of that is media and 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 you know like we were talking about before is you know every time a character like that that all that stuff is incidental. Yes, exactly. It's like exactly it's because like it, oh, it's not a big it deal. becomes more normal now. Exactly, become more normalized in every single way. I think that's great. I think that's great for. Everyone who I believe, you know, feel that they're on the fringes of society, you know, because of media, you know, people are like, oh, that's not so strange. Right. Yeah, what were you true. into when you said you're a bona fide nerd? What was sort of were you into when you were in school? Well, you know, I was into, you know, reading. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, books? Reading and writing. Books? You know, I was into books. No, you know, I was just into like, you know, I played, you know, I, you know, I was on the school newspaper. I, you know, I was, re- I played the violin and the tenor sax and, um. I was just, you know, I was into Lego. Nice, hugely into Lego. Um, yeah, so I was, I was, I, but I wasn't like, you know, I grew up in the inner city of Philadelphia, and you know, you, you, people are usually into basketball or things like that, and I, that wasn't me at all. Were the other students accepting of you, or did you get shit? 
Well, I got shit. I was just, I was always just known as sort of the, the quiet geek in the back of the of the classroom, you know, right? Just you know, and I was ridiculed for actually getting good grades as well. Sure, because, you know, I, you know, but people would always like cheat off of me, or I would help people <laughs> out, you know. So you know, but like you know, the idea that you know being smart was uh, not a good thing mm-hmm. in, a, in a strange way, isn't that strange? Yeah, think about the idea of like being being. Um, you know, having an interest in you know, I, I was you know, always known as the teacher's pet too, right? Because I was really interested in uh, what they had going on. You know, I think that's just, I think that's just a teenage rebellion, right? Yeah. I think if if it, it could be the other way, if that felt rebellious, yeah. You know, but I think studying is giving into the system and the structure and yeah. if you're rebelling against that you don't give a shit and that means you're, you're cool shaking and shit yeah, up exactly. and you don't care and you yeah. you know then at a certain point you realize like oh yeah that stuff's kind of important ah <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Oh, shit exactly oh man maybe I should have been more like yeah, that yeah I probably should have paid attention a little more exactly. I, w- I was really lucky because my parents you know I, I was into all that stuff and they they put me in situations where I could explore that yeah so i think a lot of it also comes from being able to recognize what your kids are into and trying to you know yeah inspire them that's my parent my parents were like really interested in all of us just my parents were not artists at all but they were very interested in their kids uh i don't know expressing themselves i was always like a shire i had a i just told someone this the other day and i hadn't thought about this in years i had a had a lisp and it was my S's and I, or my, and my X's. I would, I would say boxes. Uh-huh. So, so I didn't speak a lot. So it was very much. I was someone who just watched a lot. Someone so, with such perfect diction as you have yeah, now. Thank you. That's you- all manufactured. <laughs> 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 the idea that people are always like, "Oh, we love Victor Strand's voice and the way he speaks. He could read me any bedtime story." It's like I've come a long way, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Victor Strand. You're Madison. Strand. You like Madison. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> These infected are everywhere. <laughs> Quick, get to my boat. <laughs> Let's go, everybody. Let's I have go. to find Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Strand? Exactly, exactly. I swear I'll kill you. <laughs> uh, he's not really going to kill anybody. Uh, not with that list. <laughs> get that list. That's really we'll interesting. So that, that was something that defined you that you, or at least you think defined you, and you changed that. Yeah, I think, you know, I think like a kid like me, I had a lot of hurdles to overcome. I think, you know, I grew up very, you know, I always say I grew up in an inner city um, home that was very nuclear in a way. I grew up with mom, stepfather, and um, three siblings. And I think that, but you still, we were, we're pretty poor. We're pretty poor. And like I wore my sister's hand-me-down clothes. You know what I mean? I wore her like high-top high, high Pink pro kids. Yeah. You know, I was like on that chain. It was like, and I was after my sister. I was like, boo, <laughs> I will never be cool. So, yeah, 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 you know what I mean? But also, even when it comes to, you know, you know, you know, having a lisp and being shy and things like that, I just had a lot of things, you know, to like overcome in a way. And I think, um, I, I remember like, you know, being in high school, I just couldn't wait to get to college. For some reason, I couldn't wait to get to college. And the, I felt like I, my life was going to change. And it did because I really felt like I wanted to be outside of what was um, the pressures that were put on me, whether it's just being an African-American man in the inner city and the things you, you're supposed to be. And I thought, I go to this university, I went to Temple University, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm hanging around all different sorts of walks of life and people and things like that, and I could redefine myself, or I could actually define myself, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And so that's when I started taking an interest in like whether it's theater, uh, whether it was um, clothing, the way I expressed myself, I didn't have to dress the way 
every you know stay in line with the way everyone else was in the neighborhood i can actually be myself and figure out what that was you know what i mean so that was an exciting time and i think all those things led up to sort of that evolution that we have and and mine happened in college and then i moved to and i lived in san francisco after that for like 10 years and you you can do nothing but become who you are in, oh yeah in yeah yeah absolutely with, oh you know you could be you could be a hippie you could be a biker you could be you know a thug whatever you want to be but it was you can find a group for that yeah yeah <laughs> yeah you know so yeah so i think you know <laughs> san francisco is like the the first real world interpretation of the internet it's like yeah there's a there's Truly. a chat room for everyone no, exactly exactly yeah. that's exactly it. you know and i lived in san francisco in the 90s and i but i feel like when I tell people that when I lived in San Francisco and the stories that I have, it's like you would think I was in the 60s. Right. But it was very much, you know, politically charged and, you know, just like liberating in every single way when it comes to thought more than San anything. San Francisco is such a wonderful city. It's I love San Francisco. It's a great place to perf- – I love performing I there. I do too. But it's changed a little bit though. But have you felt that it's changed a little bit because of, uh, you know, the, the, the dot-comers and how that sort of like enveloped San Francisco sure. and sort of driven out the, the, of the artist? That's sure. actually, I moved part of like part of the wave of actors moving out. Good. They've sort of priced out. Yeah, we were priced out. So, and I feel like you know, it's like you know, cities have have got to do better about how do we keep the act the artists in the city. And there's such yeah. a there's such a the the um, socioeconomic division in San Francisco is is pretty heartbreaking. I mean, oh you know, my you'd god, you you walk through neighborhoods, you know, where there's where the the real estate is insane, and yeah. you're stepping over people sleeping on the streets, heroin addicts, you name it. It's, it's, it. You know, but also it's very. When I tell you, it's very, very liberal, and also with that comes, you know, and I, I'm a liberal through and through. But of course, there's. A, I think at some point I'm like, I'm going to sound so NPC. I'm like, I'm like, I think it could get a little. It could get a little Republican around here. It's a little too much. It's a, it's a little too much. People laid out on the street, just you know, dying. Right. Like, you know, because they have the right to lay out in the street and die. Right. Like, no, actually, I think we need to take care of them and give them a little structure. Them, give them a little structure. You know. Right. So you know, I'm leaning more towards the middle in San Francisco. <laughs> you know. I don't know how to. I mean, I don't know. There obviously is a. There obviously is a, a problem. I just I mean, I'm not I'm not an expert in San Francisco politics yeah. so I don't know how you solve it but yeah. it's not a, it's a huge uh, problem but yeah. I don't know how you give these people the support that they need and respect them you know like respect their rights their rights like said to do what whatever they want but also give them help yeah. help you know cuz it cuz I can't imagine San Francisco is a great place to be out on the streets in because it's freezing a lot of the year it's it's kind of unbelievable. I, I was just there about a year ago, and I was uh, doing a workshop of a play of mine at, at American Conservatory Theater, which is right on Market Street. And, of course, that's right where I think, you know, uh, Twitter has headquarters. Yeah. Facebook, you, you know, yeah. They're, they're all around there. And you then you see this – all. Really, I was actually like shocked for the first, you know, and I live in New York, and it's, it takes a lot to shock me. But I was just shocked where I was stepping over people. Like, I was watching people like putting a needle in on the street, yeah. walking by these, you know, lovely people going into their job at Twitter. And I just thought, like, this isn't normal, people. This isn't normal. We've got to make, even as these things are building, you've got to figure out how do we take care of this problem here. Right. And not just say it's a problem, but like how do we include it in the, the planning of this, whether it's social services, you name it. Um, uh, job creation, you name it. I feel like there's, there's some plan that can happen that is about everyone's economic growth in right. a way. And also, in, uh, uh, I don't know, there's some rehabilitation that, that can happen right. if, if they are interested in it in some way. But the idea of like, well, honestly, it's, it's, it's buck wild on 6th and Market Street. It's the most shocking block, I think, in America. Yeah, because I don't, you know, my, my concern isn't the like the... Oh my gosh, they're ruining the real estate. It's more like they're people. And yeah. how do you 
how do you help them? Like, how do you give them the ability to make the choice to get the help that they exactly. need? Exactly. And I, I, I don't know the answer. And, and why not, Chris? We need to fix the world here on this podcast. I'm not podcast. the mayor of San Francisco. <laughs> I don't know. I, I wasn't on the ballot this year. I don't live there. Apparently that counts against you. Also not in politics. That was not helpful. Uh, I don't have a lot of answers for things. I'm very disappointed, Chris. I know. And well, listen, when you come back next time, I will solve all of the <laughs> Great. But you're but you're working on this play about addiction. Yeah. And so what is that what are you what have you learned about that? Well, I I think I've I I know I've experienced people in my life who've had addiction problems as well. And also looking at the surreal uh, worlds that they're living in when dealing with that, even people who are very, some that are very close to me and uh, the repetition of it and, uh, and trying to, and trying to find the answers, like how to break the chain of it. And I think that's also what thematically in this, in this play, but it's also a bit of a satire. So it's really skewered up and it's really like, you know, um, it's happening fast and furious and it's really actually kind of funny. So and I also think that because I think also dealing with dark material, I'm used to dealing with dark material and and really um, the way you can shine a light on it is really make people laugh their asses off. Truly. Right. And so we can really see ourselves and see the absurdity of all of it. Well, and this is in this play, there is a uh, an, an, an intervention that's happening. The intervention is happening on the family member who has the worst addiction. Okay. Everyone else, they smoke, they, they pop pills, <laughs> they, you know, they, they, they drink. But this one is the, the culmination of all of it. And so, but also then it gets skewered in terms of like, what do we believe? Um, how do we view addiction? And how do we view, view addiction in different, um, whether it's dealing with it and uh, with a Caucasian family and dealing with it with an African-American family. You know, so I think we're dealing with it also with race as well. So right. it's, it's really um, looking at the lens of addiction and the similarities and the... Uh, and the surreal qualities around all of it. So I have a lot of experience dealing with um, loving people who are uh, in the throes of addiction. And is do you think culturally, do you think we as a society are less um, helpful to African American families and more? And if it's a Caucasian family, like we have to get Trevor into therapy, you know? <laughs> right. Like what? Is, what do you find are the main differences? And I don't know. I do, I do believe that there are there are some strong cultural differences in terms of like how we view. Um, uh, addiction. Uh, Robert O'Hara, the playwright, said, he actually told the story the other day, he said, you know what, um, addiction in my family is, you know, I, he, I can go home for the holidays and there's an obvious crackhead at the table. And they're like, well, what's wrong with it? She needs help. She needs, she needs help. You know, we gotta get, you know, she's sitting here, everybody's sitting here like it's completely normal. They're like, well, we've tried to give her help. She doesn't want help, but she's still our family. Right. So as you deal with it and sort of in this normal way, which is also surreal, he's, he just said, I couldn't believe it, what was happening. He was like, because he believes, you know, therapy, you give people help, whatever, like, but then what do you, what happens when they don't want it? Right. You know, do you ostracize them or are they still part of your family? So these are just themes and questions, I think, that are running through just how we care for it, whether African-Americans, you know, Caucasian-Americans, you name it. You know what I mean? So I think it was just these are raising questions on how we deal with it. Yeah. Know, rather than giving any answers. Yeah. So I really don't know. Addiction doesn't. It, addiction has no color. Yeah. Right. And yeah. you also can't, if the person doesn't want it, there's no, I mean, you can't, it's not going to stick. They, yeah. They have to want it. And they have to be motivated. To- it's, and it's such a strange thing because I think, you know, it's like not that um, I've, I've been experiencing this in my life. I, I won't say who, but I'm, I, have, I have someone very close to me who just went through rehab. And then within a month, you know, you try to support them. You you go and visit with them. You're like, great, 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 great. And then you find that they are back 
you, they're caught up again in it. It's, it's a cycle. And you're like, hey, remember, you said, they said that you would lose your job. Are you going to take care of that? You know, like, let's not challenge that. This is your, your last time. But you have to just, and then after a while, you have to make an agreement. I believe I just try to make an agreement to not judge anyone um, and to just say, okay, I can still love you, and that's what's going to happen. And sometimes you have to let them. Let it happen. Right. You can't. You can't get in the way and just think I can help fix you because you know I think we're all programmed to say, "Let me help you. Let me take care of this. Do you need money? What is it? Do you, can I help you move out of that neighborhood? What is it?" But it's like, no, they have to want to do this stuff. Right. And uh, and then you can just and then you have to. I'm in this place right now. Where I'm sort of making that decision. Do because it, it it's painful no matter what you think. Am I standing idly by while this person is just self destructing, or am I letting them just? They, I have to let them do that because I can't get involved. I can't become that codependent in there because then I'm a part of the problem as well. Right. So it's a strange, strange thing, and it's like you know, and um, who knows? I, you know, I'm, I'm, I've never been a person about. I've been a person that I think that they can, that has survived and with many heartbreaks and, and things like that in, in their world without therapy. But I thought maybe this is something possibly I should you know look into a group to see how can I support or not support this thing? Yeah. I mean, because like, we don't know what, what to do. You yeah, know? Yeah. I yeah. mean, if, if there's like, like, yeah, like an Al-Anon group or, yeah, or, like or, or, or something that just gives you a bit of guidance in terms of how can you be a support structure without, because, you know, at a certain point it'll pull you down. Like yeah. you, you can't, you can be loving and helpful, but you shouldn't, you also shouldn't sacrifice your own life because yeah. then yeah. that'll have an effect and, That'll affect other people around you and exactly. pull them in, and so, yeah, I I, I definitely think there are there. I completely yeah. support support that because it is yeah. a tough thing to manage on your own, and yeah. you know, people who've been through it can be very helpful. So that type of group counseling or one on one counseling, I think, is really, really, really yeah. important. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite? As we're kind of wrapping this out. Oh my gosh, that was an hour already. Holy shit. Chris, Chris, we could talk for hours. We could talk for hours. (laughs) We really could. I kind of think. Are you around this weekend? I'm around. You should come to the wedding. What? You should come to the wedding. What? I'll come to the wedding. You should come to the wedding. What? That's fun. Why not? I'll come to the wedding. I would love to have you. I think it'd be really nice to have you at the wedding. Oh, that's so sweet. I'll come to your wedding. I appreciate that. Okay. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Saturday in the evening. In the evening. I love Saturday evening. Great. Great. And somehow I bought like you know great clothes with me. It's perfect. You know, it's like you know. Listen, I'll bring. Is it casual? Is it what? It's well. Okay. So the almost wife did. A uh, a thing where she, you know, her family. She comes from a family of they were ranchers basically, yeah. and they, some of them, a lot of them, still are. So she wanted to do this. Is kind of like she said that it's it's optional, but it's like there's like a cowboy formal optional attire. So if you like a suit and boots. Wait, you guys didn't see this, but I actually just took a step back. You took I'm a like, step what, back. I'm like, what's yeah, happening? Yeah. I'm like, I never saw it coming either. <laughs> and uh, she was like, No, I think it'd be really cool. Optional. Cowboy but hat, cowboy boots, something like that? You can do like bolo tie or cowboy boots and a suit or whatever. You don't have to. What if I rode up on a horse? That would be fucking incredible. <laughs> if you rode a horse into Pasadena <laughs> where the wedding is happening, yes. I think that would be amazing. Chris, no, I will definitely come. I would love to have you oh, there. Oh, my God. That would be so nice. I've been becoming friends, you We've guys. We've been becoming friends, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, it's always fun because you, when you, when you kind of start, when you appear at stuff and we're at events and we do stuff together, it's like, Oh, I like that guy. Yeah. I want to hang out with that guy. I feel the know? same about you. I feel like same. but you know, I feel like such a nerd. I'm like, I can't be like, oh, of Chris, course you can. You, no, please, please. <laughs> cool, man. Okay, good. So you're coming to the wedding. That's Great. all done. Are you coming to the wedding? Okay, good. Uh, so uh, I'd love to hear as we're kind of wrapping this out. You said you were so inspired by Baldwin, right? Yeah. So what is a quote or something that you've learned or something to live by or something that you want people to know? 
Oh, wow. There's, um, I actually uh, discovered this uh, essay of Baldwin's from 1963. He and Richard Abaddon went to high school together. And and they created they they were friends all the way to their deaths, and they created this book of essays with this uh, photography. And the book has been out of print for years. And me and my collaborator Patricia McGregor, we um, did some of these essays for this Baldwin Festival a few years ago. And the last bit of it <clears throat> just really touched my heart. And it went something and it went something like this. Uh, I have slept on rooftops and in basements and in subways, have been cold and hungry all my life, have felt that no fire would ever warm me and no arms would ever hold me. I have been, as the song says, buked and scorned, and I know that I will always be. But my God, in that darkness which was the lot of my ancestors and my own state, what a mighty fire burned. In that darkness of rape and degradation, that fine flying froth and mist of blood, through all that terror... And in all that helplessness, a living soul moved and refused to die. We really emptied oceans with a homemade spoon and tore down mountains with our hands. And if love was in Hong Kong, we learned how to swim. It is a mighty heritage. It is the human heritage. And it is all there is to trust. And I learned this through descending, as it were, into the eyes of my father and my mother. I wondered when I was little how they bore it, for I knew that they had much to bear. It had not yet occurred to me that I would also have much to bear, but they knew it, and the unimaginable rigors of their journey helped them to prepare me for mine. This is why one must say yes to life and embrace it wherever it is found, and it is found in terrible places. Nevertheless, there it is. And if the father can say, yes, Lord, the child can learn that most difficult of words. Amen. For nothing is fixed forever and forever and forever it is not fixed the earth is always shifting the light is always changing the sea does not cease to grind down rocks generations do not cease to be born and we are responsible to them because we are the only witnesses they have the sea rises the light fails lovers cling to each other and children cling to us the moment we cease to hold each other the moment we break faith with one another the sea engulfs us and the light goes out. Wow, Coleman Domingo, ra- raising the bar on how we end a podcast. Now we'll never be able to top that. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. That is beautiful, Thank and I you. really hope that you get to make this. I hope you get to make this thing that you want to make, Thank and you. I hope you get to make. I feel like a six, eight, ten part miniseries. I think that'll be extraordinary because I think it just. Once again, I think <clears throat> all in all, I think. Hopefully what we're all trying to do, I think what you're trying to do, is we're just trying to uh, bring us all together and really just trying to hold a mirror up to each other in this world and make this world a better place. In a Pollyanna way, like I always say, I'm such a Pollyanna, but that's my belief in why I try to do what I do. Well, I hope people pursue that more than the I'm going to misbehave to try to get attention and I hope people <laughs> try to remember this. Cool. And um, and you should follow Coleman. Uh, it's, you should be, be inspired. Thank follow you. Coleman and uh, follow the work of James Baldwin. And uh, thank you so much for being here. And I'll see you at the wedding. I'll see you at the wedding. Oh man, you're such a you're so great to have you, you on. Too. I'm so Thanks, glad we got to. We finally got to sit down and like have a long. <laughs> Me you know, too. Comic Con, we talked for maybe 15 minutes, and it was exactly. like. 
oh, can you help us put out a fire? I'll be back. <laughs> right, right, and I, exactly. I put out a fire right. and I came back and everyone was gone. I'm like, well, yeah, I was gone for like 35 minutes trying right. to solve problems. but We were gone, right? We were gone, yeah. But it was so good to see you. You too, Chris. And thank, thank you, you so much for sharing that. Uh, Coleman Domingo. Uh, oh, I should say uh, Fear the Walking Dead is back Sunday. Sunday. The 21st. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Stay after my wedding. Exactly. Um, we're pre-taping and talking. I had to. I'm done. Some people are like, "Are you really do working the day after your wedding?" Like, no, AMC is letting me pre-tape the show. They're not making me work the day after my wedding. I'm going to be going to the honeymoon. Uh, and then Birth of a Nation opens in October, October seventh, October seventh, and yeah. then people should see your play at the Geffen if yeah, they're which opens on September fourteenth. So September preview September sixth. And what's the name of the play again? It's called Barbecue. Barbecue. Yeah. Excellent. Coleman Domingo, thank you so much for being here and Thanks sharing. So uh, enjoy your burrito, everyone. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new. Stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream. So he created Halo Top, in his Cuisinart, or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free Right now on Wondery Plus.